Welcome to Word of Life Fellowship Chapel. We are a body of believers that includes Bible Institute students and the community around Chitende. What you are about to listen to is what transpired during the service that meets every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We hope that you'll be blessed by this message. Good to see some faces here. Joel, uh, good to see you and your lovely wife. Um, and, and so many other faces that I'm, I'm seeing here for the very first time. You're welcome. We meet here every Sunday. Um, and, and, and our goal is, if you've got the bulletin, it's at the, it's at the front. Um, we, 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 we are here to make mature and equipped followers of Christ for the sake of the family community and global transformation um, and so it's our desire and our goal everything that we do as as, as, a, as a congregation is geared towards that uh, singing our music our support with each other and the different groups that uh, uh, Frank shared about earlier on for those who are joining us uh, for the first time we are our theme as has been shared is thrive and uh, we spent two Sundays just taking a general overview of what it means to thrive, and then the last two Sundays we were looking at a thriving church. What does it mean to be a thriving church? Today and next Sunday, God willing, we're going to be looking at a thriving family. A thriving family. I wish we would take many more Sundays than just these two, because this is such a huge, huge topic. Now, I want you to understand from the word go that I'm not standing here as an expert on what it means to have and to be a thriving family. I am on that journey as well. That's my aspiration. That's our goal as a family, my wife and I, that we have a thriving family. Some time back, I was working at a Christian college, and um, every Sundays, there were Sunday schools, you know, lessons, different lessons, you know. Um, and for two years, I was asked to carry out a, a Sunday school, and, and the title for that uh, Sunday school was Dysfunctional Homes or Dysfunctional Families. Now, the other Sunday schools were very good. They had very good topics, you know, biblical finances and all these things. And, you know, at, at the beginning... Most people went to most of those Sunday schools, and, and, and I had a very small group of people. And so we were given a very small room. I don't know why. Maybe people did not think the topic was good enough, or maybe it's because an African was doing it, and uh, probably they didn't think I, I had anything good or valuable to share. But the second Sunday, the numbers began to grow. By the third Sunday, we could not fit into the small room, and my, my Sunday school was moved to a lecture hall. Halfway through the semester, the lecture hall was packed, and some of the other Sunday schools were empty. Now, this is what I realized. It, it had nothing to do with my presentation or my presentation skills. But a majority of those people in that room were victims of dysfunctional homes and families. 
that the number of people experiencing and undergoing dysfunctionality in the homes and families is growing exponentially, especially in this current generation where we are so busy and not having time to do that which God has called us to do as families. And the interesting thing is that the person that was facilitating that particular Sunday school was also a victim and a product of a dysfunctional home. So we had so much in common to share. We're going to be looking at some of these things that I put together back then and I've tried to refine them for our good, for us to understand what it means to be a thriving family because that was the last two sessions of my Sunday school lessons was driven towards what it means to be a thriving family and God willing we'll be looking at that next Sunday. How does it look like? What does it mean? Now, just like when I introduced the whole topic of thriving, remember I told you there's, there's, there's four places that you can be in. There's a decline, and this year you can either choose to decline or, or, or die off, and Psalm 1 also talks about this. Or you can be in survival mode. A number of us have been in survival mode generally in life for these past two years. You know, just clutching at every straw that is available to stay alive, to keep your head out of the water so that you're, you're not drowning. The other place that you can be in is just maintenance. Everything is okay. You're comfortable. You don't want to add. You don't want to subtract. You don't want anything to be done. You don't want the boat to be rocked. Or you can be in thriving mode. Now, interesting that families too can also be in those four categories. You can be in a family that is dysfunctional, that is dying and declining, and nothing left of anything to be said about a family. Or you can be a family that is in survival mode, or you can just be in maintenance mode, or you can be a thriving family. Our goal is that everyone would move towards being a thriving family. Now, in all those families, there's, there's four things, and this is not an exhaustive list. There's four things that are common to all these families. Number one, all families face crisis. It doesn't mean that being in a thriving mode, there's going to be no crisis at all. All of them face crisis. The difference is how that crisis is handled and how that crisis leaves that family. Number two, all families have opportunities. Even the declining and dying family, God avails them opportunities, either to get out of that cycle as well as the thriving. Again, the difference is how those opportunities are taken up and utilized. All have expectation to thrive, apart from the ones that are dead, sometimes that tend to ignore. And then something that we need to note is that whether a family is thriving, maintenance, survival, or declining has got nothing to do with economic status. Because there are so many families that are thriving that are not doing well economically. So when we talk about thriving, I'm not talking about you know, financial explosion and all these things, you know, prosperity. It could be part of it. And sometimes a thriving family is led to prosper in their relationship is led to prosper financially because of how they choose to deal and handle things in their families. 
But it's also equally true that sometimes wealth and financial well-being can be a precursor to a declining family. So when I talk about thriving, it's got nothing to do with economic status. I put down a, a, a box that I wish I would have typed out and maybe I will put this and send it out um, on social media so that you can have access to this. There are different characteristics that I've put here that would be able to define how a declining family looks like, a surviving family, a maintaining family, and a thriving family. I share this so that you can be able to identify where you probably are at and hopefully get to make the decision to say, listen, I want to stay in thriving mode and grow in my thriving as a family. Or when you realize, hey, listen, I didn't know all along I was in surviving that you begin to make the steps by God's grace towards thriving. There's four areas, five areas, that are put as, you know, guiding areas for which we can be able to diagnose. And again, this is not exhaustive. For a declining family, usually the trigger for what brings about decline or dysfunctional family, I have put several S's, sin can be in the picture, could be a child who has decided to choose a certain route in his life and it brings so much turmoil in the family. It could be selfishness, it could be sickness, sometimes sickness can trigger dysfunction in the home. It could be stubbornness or, in brackets, pride. Pride by the father, pride by the mother, pride by the spouses. Pride involved even as a father tries not to talk to their child because of something. Sometimes secrecy is it. Now there's five areas, communication, roles, love, respect, and parenting. Under a declining family, communication is non-existent. It's broken down. No one is talking to each other. There could be some talking, but it's talking at each other, trying to outdo, shouting, arguing. It's broken down. Roles are neglected. Roles are neglected. I told you I grew up in a dysfunctional home. My parents separated when I was very young. Out of the eight children in my family, I think I'm the only one that did not experience having a father and a mother in the same, under the same roof. And so my father was absent. I, I grew up most of the time with my mother. My father was absent. And he couldn't carry out his responsibilities to me as a child. I only got to see my father once a year, and that was in December when we came for Christmas. So neglected responsibilities or roles. Love is non-existent. It is characterized by animosity. Respect. Instead of respect, there's disdain. There's hatred. There's disdain for one another if it is a husband and wife and there's dysfunction there. There's disdain for one another. They just can't see eye to eye. You know, you under you underlook the other person. You don't see any value in them. There's no mutual respect, as is asked of us in Ephesians chapter 5. Parenting tends to be one-sided. One of the parents takes care. And sometimes both parents decide they're going to neglect and let go. 
It's your child, it's your child, and the child is left in between there. The next type is the surviving, number two. Surviving families, usually the trigger is crisis. Most of the times, not all the times. Usually crisis triggers survival. We've had this past two years, 2019, 2020, 2021, right? Crisis, the pandemic could have driven a number of people into survival mode. The father can no longer provide and there's crisis. It could be crisis of sickness. Someone falls sick, the mother falls sick, or the father falls sick, so a child falls sick. And, and soon everything else is put to the side to attend to this particular issue. And so all these other roles and responsibilities, love and all, they take a second seat or a back seat. And there's survival. Much of the communication here is high context. It's not words. You know, people expect you to read what's going on and understand. And so many times you will hear this being said, don't you understand? Can't you see what we're going through? And it's expectation for you to know that, man, things are not well. And communication is only when we have to that people communicate, and sometimes it's one-sided. Roles or responsibilities, most of the times it's just keeping up appearances. Love, it's flat. Our main focus is not the love that we should be sharing. It should be concern and care or solving the crisis that is going on. In terms of respect, there's, there's respect, but mostly support is what is prominent in this. Parenting, most of the times, tends to be neglected. You know, there's this back and forth going on between the government and the church and the parents, right? They're saying when the kids who are home during the crisis, the number of pregnancies has gone what? Up. And the government is saying it is because of neglect. Parents just don't have time. They're trying to survive as well. And so they have left the children there to fend for themselves. And, and, and these, you know, evil people have taken advantage and have come in and abused some of his children. So neglect sometimes is there. You have a sick mother, you have a sick father, and all the attention goes to that individual. You have a child that is, you know, sick or, you know, disabled, and you have to spend so much time, usually the others are neglected. And it's not intentional, it's just the circumstances. We're in survival mode. Then there's a the maintenance. Maintenance usually is driven by role. Tata Daudi, right? And that's just my role, Tata Daudi, to be the father. You provide, as long as you're providing, the children are dressed, they're going to school, you're bringing food, ah, that's it, maintenance. Let each one of us keep their roles. So communication, again, it is role-driven. My only communication with Amanda is going to be, you know, how are the children? Have they, have they eaten? Have you done this? I gave you money for a project. Has it been done? It's the same thing. The only time she's probably going to talk to me, ah, tetulina sente. It's role-driven. 
There's no in-depth discussion, you know, how has your day been? How do you feel today? Yesterday I saw you're going through a difficult time. What, what's going on? Just that in a, it's lacking, it's role-driven, and sometimes it's just routine. Because we are in the same household, therefore we have to communicate. Roles are obligatory. I'm just going through the motions. Obligatory. This is my role in this house. Let me just do it and stay in peace. There was a young man I was counseling some time back, and he realized that when, when, whenever he does something, the whole world just comes crashing to him. And he said, listen, now I have learned to know what my role is in this home. And as long as I do it, I know there is no trouble. I'm not doing it because I want to, but I know it is just going to save me from trouble, to keep the peace. That young man was in maintenance mode, obligatory. Love is really situational. It depends on the moments. There are, there are those moments, those rare moments where love is going to be expressed one to another, but most of the times it's maintenance depending on the role. Respect is high. That's interesting. Respect is high here. And it's respect that is best on the roles. I respect you as the mother of my children. I respect you as my wife. I respect you as my husband, as the one that provides. Parenting is driven by concern. There's concern, and that's why the roles, you know, are exalted. But let's go to the thriving. How does the thriving look like? Communication. Thriving is driven by love that only we can get from God. God is love, right? And he's the one who gives us that love. It is nothing that we can generate of ourselves. Only God can help us to stay in this place. Not even a seminar, not even 20 steps that I can ever share here. So many people here have those 20 steps and probably even 50 steps, but they are unable to do it. But only by God's grace is this possible. And only by the love that God sheds into our hearts, one for another, are we able to be in this place? And how is the communication? It is open. It is genuine. It is verbal and non-verbal. It is continuous. It is not hidden. And it's two-way. Both are interested in listening to the other, and not just to listen to the words, but to listen to the heart. And James 1.19 is, is, is very prominent here. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Roles are embraced with joy and a bigger picture in mind, not just the tasks. They're complementary. There's no, there's no clearly defined roles. When I come home and I find my wife, she's so tired, and the dishes and the sink is so full, uh, I, 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 it's okay for me to walk to the sink and wash the dishes. It's complementary and it's fluid. There's no designated diaper changer in the house for those who have little children. Anyone can as the need is displayed. The wife also is a Proverbs 31 wife, right? She's not just seated there waiting for the man to play his role. She's also enterprising. She understands that she has a role 
in the economy of the home, either in how she does, carries out things, or how she also brings in something home. Love is blossoming, it is celebrated, and it is genuine. It doesn't mean it is devoid of, of, of quarrels and fights. No, 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 they do exist, but people fight forward. You understand fighting forward, right? We sit down with the, with, with the idea of trying to find a way forward. Some of us, we fight backwards. Your intent in showing how this person has done something wrong so that they know they're a bad person and they stay there and then you keep, give them a label and forever you're just interacting with them with that label. That's fighting backwards. Trying to settle scores. Fighting forward is looking at this issue and saying, listen, this individual can be better. So how can we find a way forward out of this? Listen, the reason why we are fighting right now is because, well, you didn't communicate well. So how can we work on our communication and make it better? So you're looking forward and love is blossoming. It's genuine. It's celebrated. Listen, respect is mutual. And then parenting is nurturing parenting. They are all interested in nurturing their children. And I, I will try and put this down and, and send it so that you can have this available and you can evaluate yourself. I know as a family, sometimes we, we, we oscillate in between here. Sometimes we're going to survival mode. I know as a family, the time Amanda and I, before we had children, we were in survival mode because my mother was sick. We just didn't have that time for one another. It was just this crisis that we are dealing with. And then there are times we found ourselves in maintenance mode. You know, just going through the motions. Everyone's just playing their role. And then suddenly you realize, man, I just don't know what's going on in this woman's life. And you sit down and you have that discussion. And you go, oh man, where have I been? I know sometimes even in my parenting, I'm just maintenance mode. Until my son says, Dad, don't go, don't go. And I realize these young men have been missing me. And some things have to change. God is the creator of family and his intention was for family to thrive. And I want us to turn our attention to Genesis in the few minutes that are left. Genesis chapter 2, we see the beginning of family. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. Let me begin with verse 20. It says, So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. God institutes family with the idea of that companionship. The working together, the working together. And I was teaching Old Testament this past week to the Bible Institute, and I was telling them, listen, the word that is used for helper there is not a servant that is there to bead. The word helper is the same word that is used of God when God leads the Israelites through the wilderness. It's the same word in Hebrew. So God was not there as a servant to play second fiddle to Israel. Actually, he was playing a prominent role. And so God looks at Adam and says, listen, I, he does not have that kind of companionship. 
that is going to help him through, that is going to lead him through, that is going to work alongside him, that is going to be interested in his affairs. And so what does God do? Verse 21 says, And the Lord caused deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And we see that that very first the beginning of family, there was celebration, there was mutual respect, there was joy, and it was God-driven, God-initiated everything. There was celebration as Adam saw this woman. And verse 24 says this, you've heard this probably in so many weddings. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked and man and his wife and were not ashamed. You know, talking about, you know, that family, that nucleus family of just husband and wife. There's that mutual respect. They are sharing things. They're not ashamed. They're out to serve one another. And that's how God created it to be. Until we come to Genesis chapter 3. Where did this all come from? If therefore God created us to thrive, where did this come from? Where did it begin from? The declining, dysfunction, survival, and sometimes maintenance, where did that come from? We know it began in Genesis 3. And I would like to spend a few minutes looking at this, you know, for things that we need to watch out for if we are not careful in our families that these are some of the same ways in which decline begins to take shape in our families and when i talk about families now we have all sorts of families right we have single parent families and those are very common they're becoming very very common for whatever reason can be a family between husband and wife no children that's still a family can be a family with children. And at some point in, in our country, in the 80s, we also had children-led families. All those are families. But what causes decline or dysfunction? We can see that the very first time dysfunction comes into the realm of a family is in Genesis 3. And there are several things that happened that led to dysfunction. And I share these things so that we can have our guards up. We can have this as a checklist to say, hey, listen, probably the reason we find ourselves in this place is because of this issue and we need to deal with it. I like what Song of Solomon says. Listen, let's identify the foxes within our vineyard and do what? And get rid of them. So I share this so that you can have the awareness that these can be foxes within our relationships. And by the way, it's interesting. This can sometimes supersede even just a family relationship. I've seen these things even ruin relationships outside families. Number one, in verse 1, we're told, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Number one, the outside voice. 
that outside voice, be wary of it. You see, prior to this, we had God having conversations with Adam especially and telling him what he needs to do. And I believe, it's not even put here, but I believe those conversations existed between God and the husband and wife. And then a third voice comes in. And it comes in in forms of a question to create doubt. Are you sure? Are you sure when David goes out at night that he has gone out to, to share the gospel? Hmm. Your wife these days, she's begun to put on makeup. Man, why is she on the phone all the time? What, what are you doing on the phone? Why? Third voices. And I'll tell you this, I'll be honest with you. Our very first year in marriage was very hard at some point because of those third voices. And we had to sit down and talk and listen and say, we can't bring in some of his third voices. Because not everyone is happy for you. And there's some people who are going to, because they're going through so much pain and suffering, because they're going through so, and they're so bitter, they want to translate that to your situation as well, right? Because they went through something, they're also going to come and say, ah, for me, I went through this. You better be careful. And so you begin to see your spouse in a different way. You begin to see your children in a different way. That third voice. Someone, verse 1 says, listen, this guy that prospers, he watches the counsel that they listen to. They watch the company that they keep and they watch the path that they take. And some of us, to save and salvage our families, our marriages, our parenting from decline, you may need to watch what the third voice is. It could be that book that is based on human psychology and all these things. It could be the movies that you have watched. It could be the novels that you've read. It could be that small circle that you are a part of. And there's all sorts of trash being said. And it is leading to a decline into your family. Let's chase those foxes out. Number two. And on the seventh day, God, sorry. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Imagine they're having conversation. I keep telling people, if it was me, we would not have had a conversation. I would either have run away or killed the snake. I dislike snakes. So God was wise not to have me as the, <laughs> the first man. <laughs> we would not be in trouble right now. <laughs> but the woman responds, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, that's true, but not entirely true. Because the woman does what? She adds. In the common language, achisusiza, right? Yes, God said do not eat, but he didn't say you shall not touch. The lack of God's word, a proper handling of God's word, 
is another issue we need to deal with if we are to be a thriving family. We need to understand what the word says. Much of the abuse that goes on in families sometimes is justified by God's word. The men who are so not understanding, they are overbearing over their women, they take advantage of God's word. And they say, you see, the woman is supposed to be what? Submissive. And there's some sort of abuse sometimes that is carried out. You know, the word has also been used to justify slavery, true? But that's a lack of understanding God's word and twisting it to fulfill our selfish desires. So if we are to thrive as families, we need to dedicate ourselves to the study and understanding of God's word beyond just sitting under the teaching of somebody else saying, listen, I need to develop a habit of reading the word for myself and getting different resources to help me understand. You can even begin with the study of marriage. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 5 and study for yourself. What does it mean for the husband to love like Christ loves the church? What does it mean for mutual submission what does it mean for the wife to submit? What does it mean for children to obey? What does it mean for parents not to exasperate their children? Understanding God's word and not being comfortable until you have understood it. So many of us go wrong because of that. In the name of Christianity, in the name of the Bible, which has been twisted, I have seen women leave their homes to go and spend nights and days in a church and neglect their responsibilities. A whole week. Where is she? She's at the church. Praying and making food for the man of God. God's word has been twisted by men as well to abuse their wives. So the lack of the word, we need to commit ourselves to knowing the word. And not just knowing the word, but asking God to help us to put it into practice. Number three, verse, <clears throat> verse four and five, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Doubt, 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 doubt. You begin to doubt your husband. You begin to doubt your wife. You begin to doubt your children. I once did this with my sister. I don't know what we had done. And my mother really, really walloped us. And so while we're in our room, I just told my sister, you know what, that's not our mother, by the way. Do you know that? <laughs> she just picked us up. <laughs> that's why she's beating us like this. So you can imagine the next time mom came and how my sister was looking at her. <laughs> but that's what Satan did. He planted doubt. And some of us were in that area, you're doubting, can, can he provide, can he do this, can she do this? And, and you, 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 you are relating with the other party from the position of doubting. 
And we are told love believes all things. That's 1 Corinthians 13. That you choose to believe. Yes, she's on, his, on her phone, he's on his phone. I choose to believe. Love believes all things. I know my wife is catching up with someone. I know my wife is probably praying with someone. I'm not going to get her phone and I start looking and scrolling through. I don't do that. Because that's the beginning. Why are you looking at my phone? <laughs> and then it just goes downhill, right? Doubt. Choose to believe the best. And it's a choice. Even when everything else is showing them, I mean, choose to believe the best. Number four, why we find ourselves in decline and dysfunction sometimes it's because of unbridled desires, discontentment. Verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband which with her, and he ate. Listen, there were so many trees available. But the woman now becomes fixated by this just because she has been directed in this by the third voice and doubt has been created. She no longer sees all this choice that is available to her. She's now fixated on this and the desire begins to grow and she lusts for it. And all she can think about is this fruit. Unbridled desires. Yes, your wife cannot do certain things, but listen, can you also look at all the other things that she's doing? Because your wife is not God. She's not omnipotent. She's not omni-whatever to be able to provide everything that you need. And we're never ever, we're not supposed to get anything that only God can provide from another individual. Your husband is not supposed to be a 100% provider for everything. No, he's man. He's human. Only God can provide 100% of what we need. And so you find a man, yes, my wife cannot provide this, but my secretary can provide this particular thing. And you choose to neglect all these things the poor woman is dying to provide. And you become fixated on that one thing this secretary can give you. Unbridled desire. Your husband is working so hard and he's doing all these things and he can provide and, and, and there's so much you can eat from the garden that God has given you through this man. Yes, he has issues. And then there's another man that begins to pay attention. And you become fixated. And your desires begin to take you in that path. Unbridled desires and discontentment. We need to watch out for that. If we don't ask God to put a hedge around our hearts, if we don't ask God to put a hedge around our eyes and our desires and direct them into godly ways and to begin to appreciate the so many things that you have, and you begin to pursue that which you do not have and that becomes what you become fixated about, there's going to be issues. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And contentment is not because you have plenty, it's because you don't have everything, but you choose to say, God, I thank you 
and dwell there. Unbridled desires and discontentment. Number six, disobedience. Willful disobedience of God's word. Verse six, this is number five. And we see that in verse six. What did she do? She not only see and desire, it says she took of its fruit and ate. This is disobedience. Willful disobedience. And some of us, the things we find ourselves in here is because of disobedience. We're in decline because of disobedience. You've decided to willfully, you know what God's word says, but you've willfully decided, listen, I am going to do things my way. May we ask God to help us to see the areas where we are willfully disobeying and have the strength and the courage to ask him to take the path just like the some one individual. Because when we continue on the path of disobedience, problems will always arise. Number six, this is very important, I'm going to just put a pause to everyone and just concentrate on the men. It says, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. You know, usually people say, where was Adam? Listen, Adam was there. Verse 6 tells us Adam was right there and Adam saw the serpent come and Adam listened to every conversation and Adam had every opportunity to make the, the record correct and saying, listen, I was there. God is the one who spoke to me and I know this is what he said. But Adam chose to be quiet. It's actually a book I would recommend to all of you men. It is called, it's titled The Silence of Adam. And I like how it explains it, it, it just explains how that has led to so much turmoil to this very day. I'll tell you this. A number of the counseling situations that I have gone through, that either children are going through, most of it is because of an absent father. Most of it. Either the absence of the father is because of a separation or divorce, either the father has died, or, you know, they just don't know who the father is. And sometimes the father is actually in the home, but he's absent. He provides, but he's absent. I had a discussion with one that said, but I'm there, we, we do this, but the son said, listen, yes, you're there, but whenever we sit down, we're just discussing about homework. You're not interested in anything else that I have to say. He says, listen, you are not there, dad. And the absence of men in the lives of their children and even in their spouses has caused so much turmoil in the name of being busy. One of the songs that I really love, I think it's by Sanctus Real, it is Lead Me. It is a song of a family crying out, it says, listen, lead us, lead us, dad, we want you to lead us. You're busy out there chasing your dreams, but we feel neglected. says, lead me with strong arms. Men, we need to wake up to the reality of our responsibility. Some of our girls and daughters are going out there looking for love that they lacked in their home from a father. Some of our sons are out there acting out because they saw you lacking the leadership. You're beating up your wife and they are violent. 
and beating up their friends and their wives as well. My father provided for me, but he was absent. He sent money for school fees, but he was absent. Men, you play a huge role. Because most of the times the women are there, they're doing their duty. And men, you play a huge role. And I can also see it in my own, own children. I begin to see them acting up and I realize I've been away from home. I am there at home, but I've been away. I'm either busy doing all sorts of things, coming back very late, I find them asleep, I leave when they're sleeping, and I come back, they just hear about dad. And soon you begin to see them acting up. The silence of Adam, the absence of men, it's very critical. And I know we are busy people in a busy world. And there are so many little things you can do to help in this area. Have a date with your children once a week. Spend time, and we're not talking about homework and what they have not done and what they have broken and what they have, you know. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm saying sitting down. Getting time with your wife. Find out how she's doing. What has been her hardest point of the week? That open communication, in-depth vulnerability. Let me stop there. Lest the offering becomes less. <laughs> but that's one, folks, that we need to be careful about. And I know we don't intend to, we don't plan to, we find ourselves, listen, it has to be intentional. I'm talking about intentional presence as a man. Everything in our society drives us away. The busyness, and now this guy has come into the family as well, right? There are times I find myself, I've gone home, but I'm still here. Emails after emails, messages, the whole world is calling out to you, but the world in your home is missing you. This guy, Keep him away from the dinner table. Keep him away. Keep him away from family devotions. Have you noticed? You're busy reading a passage and you're like, <laughs> well, well, It's like Pavlov's, you know Pavlov's experiment, right? He has the ring, the bell, and salivating. This thing. It's bad. Don't even put it in your pocket. There are times I feel it's vibrating and there's nothing, right? Has that ever happened to you? Or am I weird? I am weird. Okay. Says another weird person today. So the silence of Adam. It can be so many things that brings us, make us absent. Listen, number seven, very quickly, let me end here. Verse seven. Verse eight. This is very sad. Sometimes the decline that we experience is because we are running away from God. It says this, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and they had. This is the saddest part. I think this is the saddest part of the narrative of Genesis 3. It breaks my heart. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
People who used to have this fellowship and suddenly now they are hiding and running away. And some of us are in running mode and that's why we're experiencing survival and decline and dysfunction. We are running away from God. We want nothing to do with God. There is no hint of you being a child of God. Your prayer life has declined. You don't feel any point in praying anymore. Because you've been in this crisis mode for a long time and you're not getting any answers from God and you decide, God, maybe you're not existent. Maybe it's time to try something else. You're busy running away from God. And I'm challenged by people like Susan here. I mean, going through all that and saying, still I will come. I will choose to hold on to God. Reading of the word has become distant. You sit and you get God's word and it just doesn't make any sense to you. You decide to put it to the side. You don't want to fellowship with other believers. Isolation. You're running away from God. Is that any of us here? And how successful has it been for you? With your parenting? with your marriage, with your relationships. It always has an effect. You see, we were created to be in relationship with God. We were created as, as, as counsel receivers, counsel from God. And whenever you alienate yourself from God, things begin to decline. This microphone was created to be plugged into this for it to function very well. And you remove it, it will not function. Departure from God is another one. And then number eight, verse 12. The man said, when man is confronted by God, he says, then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Man not taking responsibility. The lack of taking on personal responsibility for the things that happen is another fox that we need to deal with. Uh -huh. <laughs> the other day, um, we had some visitors and Luca did something. Not that my wife is not taking responsibility. She was so tired, she goes to see what Luca had done and said, David, come and see your son. And she walked out. Now he has become whose son? Mine. Same thing happens, right? A girl becomes pregnant. What does the father say? Mualao. Realizing it is our responsibility and taking responsibility for everything that happens as a man, as a woman, and as children in the household. When we don't put this before us, when they're not in our radar, when we don't realize that the third voice, 
When we don't realize the twisting and the lack of knowing God's word, when we allow doubt to fester within our relationships in the home, when we have unbridled desires and discontentment, when we have disobedience as the modus operandi for God's word, silence of the men in the home, or the absence. And by the way, if there's an absent father for whatever reason, there's different ways in which God can plug up these spots. I grew up in a home where I did not have a father, but I began to realize that and I started attaching myself to men that I saw were godly and they were able to fill in that gap for me. So it's not all lost. When we don't realize that the departure from God and the lack of taking responsibility are the reasons why we are lingering in the zone of dysfunction and survival and sometimes maintenance, then there's going to be no way of us going to the thriving mode. May God help us to be real, to be honest with ourselves and carry honest evaluations of our lives and where we are. But may we also be like what Psalms 1 says, once we realize we are there, May we choose to stay near him to be that stream that feeds us so that we can bear fruit and thrive in season. Um, there's, no, there's no easy answer to that one, unfortunately. And like I said, the, the times that we live in sometimes require us to do some of these things. But here's what I can say. One, you, you need to decide what your priorities are. Figure out what your priorities are at what, whatever particular time. And what is the price you're willing to pay? That my continued absence from home, this is what is beginning to happen. A time comes and you change your priorities and say, listen, work needs to take a back seat for now. Um, I'm, I'm a student as well. Um, I study and so I find myself studying at night because I don't do that during work hours. But there are times I have deadlines and I just tell my professor and I say, listen, this is not coming in today, neither tomorrow. I have a family. Let me get to the zero or let my marks be deducted, but I have. I don't want Dawdy to get a zero in life. <laughs> so priorities. You will have so many things that are calling you, your work, your family, your extended family. It is a matter of just prioritizing and saying, listen, what is, should be my priority right now and what is the cost I am paying for not taking care of the other things? Am I willing to allow this to go on? Okay, so, and it's, it's going to be a juggling issue. There's times you're going to say, I'm not going to Rwanda because faith needs you, because grace needs you. Uh, there are times, you know, you just have to travel to Rwanda uh, because the priorities have changed and the cost, um, I think the businessmen call it cost benefit, right? The cost is less. I, I don't think I've given you a straight answer, but it lies in between there. <laughs> Father, thank you so much. Because even as we call you Father, that denotes a family. You're a loving Father, you're a forgiving Father, you're an equipping Father. You're a, car, you're a Father who comforts us, you're a Father that helps us, you're a Father that is beside us and promises never to leave us. And God, at this point, even as we look at these earthly families that you have put here so that they can reflect you and how you love us and how you relate with us, we ask that you help us, God, 
If there's any way in which any of these things have crept into our relationships, Lord, may you grant us the boldness to deal with them and ask for your help in dealing with them. God, may you sow the love that only you can sow in our hearts so that we can be the kind of families that you desire for us to be. Help us to thrive in our marriages. Help us to thrive in our parenting. Help us to thrive in our different responsibilities that you've given us as a family. May all this be done to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.